0: In 1946 I was 11, living in Ridderay, an Eastern housing scheme whose people thought it very posh, as I hope they still do. I usually spent spare time in my bedroom at a small version of a senior executive's desk my father had made when his hobby was carpentry. Here I sat scribbling pictures and illustrating stories of magical worlds where I was rich and powerful. One day Mum put some of my scribblings in a handbag and took me by tram to Kelvin Grove Museum. She had read in a mu- newspaper that Miss Jean Irwin had an art class on Sunday mornings in Kelvin Grove and believed that, though she never said so, that class would get me out of the house and give me more friends. Children in it were supposed to be recommended by teachers but my mum was an independent woman. A half-hour tram ride brought us to Kelvin Grove, not yet open to the general public, but she swiftly got admission from an attendant who explained where to go. We went up broad marble stairs and along a marble-floored balcony corridor overlooking the great central hall and heard exciting orchestral music. At the top of more steps, we saw twenty or thirty children busy painting at little tables before very high windows, painting to music from a gramophone, as record players were then called. I drifted around looking at these, what these kids painted while Mum showed my scribbles to Miss Irwin, who let me join her class. For the next five years, Saturday mornings were the happiest time of the week. Friday nights was bath night, Next day I, I rose to a clean change of underwear, shirt and socks, so left the house feeling unusually fresh. If the day was warm enough to go without a jacket, I felt the whole city was my home and that in Kelvin Grove I was a privileged part of it. The art class children came an hour before the public were admitted. I was always earliest and could therefore take the most roundabout way to the painting place. "'starting with a wide circuit through the ground floor. "'I first turned right through a gallery "'where a large geological model of Strathclyde near the door. "'It had a pale blue river, firth and lochs, "'and layers representing rocks painted to show "'how the valley and hills had been laid down in prehistoric times. "'Pink fossils, including an ichthyosaurus, "'and uncased a great ugly fish, with two goggle eyes near the front of its head instead of in each side, and big human-looking buck teeth below. I left that gallery by an arch under the skull of a prehistoric elk, with antlers over six feet wide. Then came modern natural history, the shells and exoskeletons of insects and sea beasts, a grotesque yet beautiful variety showing the unlimited creativity of the universe. Some I hardly dared look at, and would have preferred them not to exist. A spider crab had legs splayed out as wide as the antlers of the elk. Then came birds and animals and cases with clues to their way of life. I seem to remember a fox bringing a pheasant's wing in its mouth to small foxes under a shelf of rock. Ah... Uh, or under a tree root. Big animals were in a very high gallery behind large glazed arches. An elephant with its young, a giraffe and a gazelle had a painted background of the African veldt, an arctic scene with walrus, seal and polar bear, beside fake snow and ice floes. A Scottish display had stag, doe and fawn, capper, and grouse among heather. I have no space to describe my delight in the sarcophagi, ornaments, carving, and models of the Egyptian gallery. The splendid model samurai, seated in full armour before the ethnography gallery, with its richly carved furniture, weapons, and canoe prows from the Oceania and Africa. The gallery, full of large, perfectly detailed models, of the greatest ships built on Clydeside. The ground floor displays assured me that the world had been, and still was, full of more wonderful things than I could imagine for myself. After these wonders, the long, uncluttered floors of upstairs picture galleries were a satisfying change. I was too young to enjoy looking at many pictures. A realistic one seemed a waste of time. The woods is full of mothers and children, pompous adults, bowls of fruit and vases of flowers, flayed and limbless cattle, hanging in butcher shops. Why stare at paintings of these? But I love the two huge Salvador Rosa landscapes. I imagine climbing into them, paddling through pools of what seemed shallow rivers, passing the small figures of John the Baptist, Jesus and disciples and making secret dens for myself in the hollow trees and cavernous rocks. I also enjoyed, as all children can, and many adults do, Noel Payton's Fairy Raid, that moonlit wood full of amazing supernaturals. Only as I aged and matured did I come to appreciate Rembrandt's flayed ox, Turner's Modern Italy, Whistler's Carlisle, and many more of Kelvin Grove's greatest paintings. I had become intimate with the galleries in the last days of Tom Honeyman's audacious curate- curatorship. More important than his acquisition of Daly's crucifixion was the other modern art he brought to Glasgow. His shows of work by Picasso, Matisse and Van Gogh raised storms of publicity. When taking my morning unofficial stroll through the upper galleries one morning, I found the three were hung with all Edward Moose, greatest paintings and prints. It was a maturing experience. Before then, I had been mainly excited by views of the fantastic erotic heavens and hells and books of pictures by Blake, Obdi, Beardsley and Bosch. I wanted to make my life exciting by painting catastrophic biblical events in modern in Glasgow settings, the deluge, for instance, flooding Kelvin Grove Park up to the level of Park Circus, Munch had painted Hell's Hell in the rooms and streets of Oslo, a city not unlike Glasgow, and he was a realist. His white suburban villa with scarlet Virginia creeper, shown at night by street lighting was creepy and sinister, but not fantastic. Munch, like adolescent me, was obsessed with loneliness, sex and death. His people look lonely. All his women are victims of vampires. He showed me great art can be made out of common people and things viewed through personal emotion. sorry, I should have been drinking. My mouth very dry. Thank sure.